riff you guys just heard, which we use, which is um, Slave No More, fairly obscure song by Crowbar. Uh, my choice. Hey, Dad. James just did a couple of other riffs that we use, like as our intro, and um, I just shot them down and then I said that one, which is very emblematic of uh, the way I conduct myself. But like, you know, every, t- every time, every time I try and imagine the intro riff, James, you breathe it. Sorry. I'm micromanaging you at a, at a biological level. I'm like Dan Andrews. James is not, not even laughing. James is not, like practicing being dead fucking silent. Yeah, I've, like, I've muted myself. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, fear of breathing. <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't, oh, I've just kicked the microphone. Like, what really? a genius sign. Look, you, you, that doesn't, you that doesn't work. Like, and I, I do this a lot, like, you know, muting myself. Fucking disaster. Look. <laughs> Anyway, when I try and imagine the Slave No More riff that we use to enter intro, I said enter because intro isn't really a verb, but, um, you know. I'm, I'm holding off saying it's, it's so embarrassing. What I imagine in my head is not that riff, but Crush the Destroyer Mastodon. That, the opening riff of that song is what I imagine in my head. Are you saying that when you imagine things, or in this case, when you imagine one thing, you actually think of something else? Is, is that the moral of this, of this story? It's not you, what I'm, it's just you, you philosophical bullshit. Like it's not. Like, <laughs> I'm not making a claim about the, the general nature of the imagination. It's just no. It's very specifically because I don't. I basically don't know this riff very well. So when I imagine it, I know. I imagine a, a very catchy riff that I know very well. Like the only good thing that that band have ever done, really, which is like the opening. I don't think I know this riff. What's the song? That's that's. <laughs> Was that you well, doing the riff? Well, I couldn't, no, that was that was like <laughs> you understand. I had to clarify that. That could have been anything else. You could have been having a stroke. Like, I don't know. Yeah, mum could be having a stroke. <laughs> this is good. This is good content <laughs> so far. Okay. Well, it's, I mean, we're setting it up. So we had took a bit of hiatus, and um, much against my better judgment, I decided we'd do another episode. Like I, I feel like we're scraping the bottom of the barrel a little bit, but let's see how we go, because. You know, I kind of, I kind of feel like the first six episodes. You know, we tackled some serious issues, weighty issues, issues of the day, and um, by and large, there aren't really any new issues. Like we've clocked it, we've clocked the issues. The issues, the issues haven't. I mean, new issues will emerge, but they haven't. Like, you know, what are we going? Like, you're in lockdown again, James. It already happened in the last episode. Like, I know. It's just like okay, the coronavirus is still a thing. There's nothing really new to say about that. And then, but here's here's what we're going to do. We're going to do. Like a Chapo reading series, except it's not Chapo. It's the Metacritique reading series. And, you know, it's, it's pretty pitiful as well, because what I've chosen to read is something, James and I have been kicking this around for a while. I suggested it like months ago to James, because I read this thing and it was terrible. And, um, you know, I, I thought we should read it, but it, does it count as a critique in itself? Like in the most weak way imaginable, yes. But, but I feel like we're, we're barely doing Metacritic at this point. It's, it's really just, just critique. James? So I haven't actually read this. When you sent me this article, I specifically didn't read it so I could react. I come to it, it fresh. You know, I come Big to it fresh. Man, so just, I could, just don't mute your mic and we'll, we'll be good. This is now a live reaction video. Well, not live actually, as the case may be, but it, it is live for Yeah, me. we could put it up on YouTube. Yeah, that's right. So, look, boomers react to Guardian articles. <laughs> you're wearing a scarf? Is that what you got on? It's it's actually it's just my it's just my mask that I was wearing and I just haven't taken it off because my my neck is now warm and so that's it. Okay, I'm not I'm not I don't I wanna just let, let's get away let's get away from coronavirus to topic. Agreed. So we're because this this deals this article deals with the other issue of the day, not the coronavirus but BLM. And this article is so it's it's from the Guardian. I presume you people are aware of this publication. I have heard of it. I, I don't know what to say about The Guardian. If you're familiar with The Guardian, you know what it is. James and I, I feel we both have, I don't know what, I was about to say love-hate relationship, but I don't, I, I don't love The Guardian at all. It's that thing you can't, I can't look away. I cannot stop checking The Guardian website, even though I absolutely despise it. And it's basically in my case, and this is where I probably differ from James a little bit, there's a lack of an alternative source for UK news that I would substitute properly for The Guardian, mainly because the other kind of what used to be broadsheet British newspapers are paywalled. I, I read it because I'm addicted to the internet. I, this is this goes back to our, our previous conversation, but yeah, I'm the same. I love I love it and I hate it. I mean, I love to hate it. 
Uh, I think I liked it a lot more five years ago. I don't even love to hate it. Like I just hate, hate it. it. I hate it. I hate to hate it. I hate that it exists. I hate that I read it and I still read it. It's a pure compulsive activity. Yep. It's an addiction. I wouldn't even say that. So why do you read it? Well, as I said, like I, I kind of want to get, get a feel for what's going on in the UK. And That's I also it. I also kind of want to get a feel for like what is happening in SJW nonsense. Yeah. But we, we both we definitely both checked The Guardian too much. That is a fact that we can... Well, considering we can once consider. would be too much, I agree with that. So anyway, look, we've got this article up. The article is, and just it's just beautiful to behold this. So you've got The Guardian. There's a category entry on the side. What's what I would describe as a gold font. And the category of this article, incredibly, is metal. Metal. That is a category that the Guardian used to categorize news. So in metal news. And then there's a warning. There's a disclaimer at the top of this, which I should mention. It says this article is more than one month old. So it's already outdated. We're getting to it. But, you know, this was outdated the moment it was written. But by a factor of decades, absolutely incredible. The title is Rock Against Racism? Question mark. Rock Against Racism? Metal's varied response to Black Lives Matter. Oh, my God. Who is Michael Han? Yeah, so this is this is the fucking question, like straight off the bat. Who, who is Michael fuck fucking hand? Is this guy? Is that guy? So he's he's uh, he's there's a dude here, Ginger. He's wearing those like re- the rectangular glasses, like the slimmed down like noughties glasses that like are as small profile as possible. So he's got like the the soy face beard and and like curly ginger hair, and you know he's wearing like a flowery shirt. So like, I'm gonna go out on a limb here but i mean spoilers really because i've read the article i don't think this guy is into heavy metal i was gonna say this guy has never activated a pit in his life <laughs> well yeah whom's among us but um <laughs> it, he is bad that's a bad that is a bad staff photo if that was my staff uh, photo i would nah, nah. i don't know what i'd do but maybe they got him on an off day you know could be let's let's move let's move but move, we'll move on I'm always, I always try and remember when I read newspaper articles that typically the titles are decided by the editors, not the journos. So maybe forgive them for the incredibly anodyne title, but I think it does actually set it up pretty well. And then there's, I don't know what this, an abstract, like there's a sentence below that. It says, I can, I can barely read it. You want to read it, James? All right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. I'm already, I'm already triggered by this. Yeah. Black Sabbath and Axl Rose are among those in the metal world supporting protests, but there's no denying the opinions of others in the genre. Now, first of all, Axl Rose, Guns N' Roses are not metal. <laughs> that's, that's a basic category error. I mean, I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure what I think about that. I don't really want to get drawn on it. I mean, I certainly don't have, I don't have a strongly, like, I don't know how you feel about the Gunners, James. I like it. Because I'm not a fan. Never have been a fan, Guns N' Roses. Like, when November Rain comes on the jukebox in a pub, which, as, as used to happen in the 90s, I will sing along. <laughs> but... I love how that was, that was your evidence for you not liking it. I hate this, I hate this song. I will sing along to yeah, it. But I, do, but I do, you know, like, it's a party. Like, you know, you don't want to be the party pooper. You don't want to be that's that true. guy. That's true. No, that's true. It's like, I, because Guns N' Roses are not a real metal band, I'm going to sit here grimly while people say, like, no, no, no. But so for, me, for me, this is just an. I know we should we should move on, but this is just purely an issue of, of categorization. They're a, they're they're a rock band, and that, they're all the better for it. It is ridiculous. But I think the more worrying thing for me here is not the genre confusion, although I agree that is somewhat worrying. The thing that is worrying here is that Black Sabbath. This is in 2020. I mean, okay, it's more than a month old, but it's not fucking 30, 40 years old. This is June 2020. In the metal world, this thing. A world made of metal. Black Sabbath and Axl Rose are like chief denizens. And these are both, they barely fucking count. Like, okay, so Sabbath, we should get it out of the way straight away. I think James and I are totally agreed on the position. I mean, it's a position I outlined many years ago in a cavalier fashion by saying that Black Sabbath invented music. So true. Where's the lie? But you could hedge on it. But look, basically, I think we, we both agree that Black Sabbath are, you know, the ur text of the entire metal canon. Like the, the early Sabbath. However, Black Sabbath in 2020, I do not believe have like some oracle-like 
status. I mean, they're, they're basically passed. Like, I don't know, is, is like geezer still running it? What's going on? I don't even, I, I don't have paid any attention to anything Black Sabbath have done in decades. I saw him in 2016. They were good. Like they were good, but it was a. I mean, it was a. It was a heritage. It was a heritage act because Aussie was back with them for. A while. I, can't, yeah, yeah. I, just, I don't follow it. Okay, yeah, it so he, for years he was out of it. Okay, fine. Now, but Axl Rose. I mean, going back to the Guns. I mean, we don't think Guns N' Roses are metal band, but Axl Rose. Like the Guns N' Roses, like had like two albums in the early nineties or whatever, and like they, they've not existed since. They didn't put an album out for twenty years. I mean, Sabbath, like whatever you want to say, like Geezer keeps turning that shit out. Axl Rose isn't even in. I mean, he, he's in Guns N' Roses apparently. There's a picture of him allegedly. Everyone but him is out of it. But he's just, he's like, it's like a one-man band now, right? It's like him and some session music. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fiction. I mean, Guns N' Roses aren't real. They, they, they haven't been real for, for decades. It's ridiculous. But here's, <laughs> let's move on. We'll move on to the first sentence. It's got this big splash, very unflattering photograph of himself, Axl Rose, performing in Mexico City in March. This is the, subtitle, the, the caption, the band has supported BLM on Instagram. <laughs> that is such a bad sentence. <laughs> because if you go and look at metal bands on Instagram, like... You basically, I mean, I, I'm going to put a rough percentage on it without totally unscientific. Haven't done the survey, but I reckon 90% of them are going to have, like signal support for BLM. Like, ev- like everyone does on Instagram, and it is true that there are instances. There's there's a minority of instances with signal support for BLM. I'm going to go out there and say though that that's probably true in every category, including like Black Lives activists. Like, there's there's no constituency that doesn't have a like minority of disagreement with Black Lives Matters as a hashtag or movement. No, you're absolutely right. Still, there is a, I mean, there is a bit of a difference here, which is what Michael Han is going to, to point out, which is that that 10% in the metal world, like a lot of that 10% are like overt racists. There's no point denying metal has a more complicated relationship with race than many of its adherents would like to admit or confront. At its most stark, this is evident in the overt racism that has insinuated itself into black metal over the past 30 years, following the example of the openly racist Varg Vikernes of Mayhem and Burzum. There's now even a genre identified it as, quote, national socialist black metal, unquote. What is the, what is the word now in that last sentence doing? <laughs> I mean, there has been for 25 years. What uh, is he talking well, about? I mean, like NSBM as a subgenre, I feel, you know, really like maybe 20 years. Yeah, at least but, 20. But yeah, no, no, no. Now, no, but he's, this, this, is, this is the writing of someone who has just discovered this information, which no, again, right. bit of a giveaway. Michael Hand doesn't have a fucking clue what he's talking about. And I am genuinely wondering what Hand's process is here. Because I think there's two possibilities. One is that he was assigned to write an article on this topic. The other possibility is that he himself decided that he was going to write an article on this topic based on something. Like, I don't know, he saw like Axl Rose's Instagram post because he follows Axl Rose because he used to be into the Gunners when he was 15. And it's like, hmm, this is interesting. I wonder how other metal bands have reacted. And then I assume he read the Wikipedia page on heavy metal. And that is where his knowledge of heavy metal comes from. There has to be. There's no other option. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 even this first paragraph, everything about it is so fucking ridiculous. Like it doesn't... So the first, the first sentence, it's like this stupid weasel sentence that says absolutely nothing. Metal has a more complicated with relationship with race than many of its adherents would like to admit or confront. Now that presumably could be said of literally anything. You know, c- competitive, competitive, you know, drag racing... <laughs> Either of the the kind of car kind or the RuPaul kind, like either of them, must have a more complicated relationship with race than its adherents. Many of its adherents would like to admit. What's a complicated relationship? But, what constitutes but, one? I don't but, understand. But presumably, I mean, presumably, the extent this makes sense at all. Like, let's give them the, the benefit of the doubt. Like, it must be saved like, about anything. Everything must have. Like, it's clear that a lot of people like to say that there is no complication around race in things. And it's pretty clear that there's some complication around race in everything, I would think. Yeah, I mean, that seems right. I, I just... But he then, he then goes on. Yeah, go on. Because this, bon- this is bonkers. He says, overt racism has insinuated itself into black metal. I mean, you imagine... So, like, there's, there's like, black metal... Black metal was innocently walking, strolling around 
It was assaulted by racism. <laughs> like these, these like white Norwegian church burners were like just doing their own thing with an eight track. And, and then, you know, somehow like some racists got in the mix. I mean, they point out, you know, following the example of the openly racist Fog Vickens, who basically is the Black Sabbath of black metal. Correct. I yes. mean, yeah, there's the, yeah, we could debate that, but yeah. No, but like the, the thing, I mean, it is, so Varg, you know, because Varg is Varg, therefore racism is part of, not the, but part of the DNA of black metal. Yeah, that's, this is right. And NSBM is just, it's driven a truck through a like wide open entrance. That's right. And, there, and there's just, and there's, I mean, this is going to be a, only of interest to those who are actually interested in black metal. But there's a, this happens all the time in the sense that people usually introduce black metal as a sort of racist subgenre and they always talk about Varg and then they always mention National Socialist black metal. But of course, there's actually no relation between, or at least very, very tenuous relation between Varg and NSBM. Burzum itself is, in terms of sonically, it sonically has very little relation to what would then become to become explicit Nazi black metal. Musically and historically, it just doesn't connect. No, I mean, what you say is completely right and unarguable, actually, which, I, I mean, it, it kind of contradicts what I was just saying, actually, James. I know you don't ever intend to do that. I try, I try my utmost. No, you're very successful at toadying. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> to finish this paragraph, the last thing that bothers me in this is this Wagner is of mayhem and Burzum. Mm. Like both, like, the of is fucking weird. So firstly, Wagner is of Burzum seems to imply like he's the, he, he was in this band called Burzum. No, he is fucking Burzum. It's just yeah. a synonym for Varg. Mayhem, okay, like he did, he played guitar on like one song or something. He was in Mayhem for about three minutes. Yeah, it's a, it's an absolute fucking joke. So, yeah, yeah it would be more honest to say Vavikhan is AKA Burzum. That would be a more honest absolutely intro, but also completely unnecessary. The, the whole the whole gesture here is someone has no idea what they're fucking talking about. Talking to people have no idea what they're talking about. Or go, oh yes, Vavikhan's of uh, Mayhem and Burzum. Yeah, because yeah, they're not, they don't fucking know who Mayhem and Burzum are. And if they do, they'll think that's a stupid fucking sentence. Jack. No, it's fucked up. And, and also, I mean, this is slightly off topic, or not only slightly, but a more interesting question, or at least one, a possible more interesting question, is the fact that, you know, the reason why Varg is, I mean, for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure that's true of a lot of the listeners, all five, the reason Varg Vikarens is so infamous is because he murdered someone and burnt down a whole bunch of churches in the early 90s. And the person he murdered was Euronymous, who was another black metal guy, one of the founders, really, of, of Mayhem. And uh, he, what people don't talk about often, is that he was a communist. Yeah, but when people do talk about the fact he's a communist, they tend to gloss over the fact that he was a communist because he liked Pol Pot, not because he like read the Communist <laughs> Manifesto. No, I mean, that's true. I mean, he was obviously, he obviously had some issues. But uh, my point is simply to say that there are other perhaps more interesting ideological uh, conflicts uh, at the root of the second wave of black metal. And also the fact that it's not the case that right-wing racism is at the heart necessarily of black metal as, a, as an art form. It, historically, it may have obtained that way in certain instances. But I think there are other possibilities the way black metal could have gone, and I think there are examples of that. Well, it has gone other ways. I mean, so exactly. you know, that's. I mean, in fact, the very fact that NSBM is a specific subgenre exactly. of of black metal is indicative of the fact that not all black metal is racist. And I mean, the, the really obvious kind of alternative. I'm not. No, I'm not sure what you call it. Like what what the subgenre identification is, but like the kind of, you know kind of eco feminist uh, Cascadian black metal. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for, I mean, the, the most famous exponents of which being Wolves, Wolves in the Throne. Of, I mean, clearly the, the two biggest black metal bands that are around today, I would think are, are Wolves and I guess Death Heaven, if you count them. Probably, yeah. But I mean, interestingly, I mean, Wolves were picketed in Germany by Antifa. Because they play black metal. Because, because people just associate any, any kind of interest in nature as fascist. No, that's true. Well, um, like, I mean, th this is why they were picketed because they, they were a black metal band who talked about sort of nature and spirituality and that under like, up to a particular stream of left-wing thought that is inherently fascist. And that's, I think, where a lot of the confusion derives from because black metal is interested in sort of neo-romantic understandings of nature, which, you know, the Nazis were in certain ways interested in. The connection is made. I mean, I feel like in, in, in Germany, there's like a really particular particularly unhinged yeah. way these things operate. I mean, it's most obviously um, 
you know, visible in the kind of anti-Deutsch reflex of being very supportive of Israel and potentially even America, because those are forces which were seen as anti-Nazi historically. But yeah, so anything that's associated with the Nazis, even in the thinnest possible way, has has to be opposed. Basically, you know, Wolfson Thonum have like the most anti-fascist politics you could have. Yeah. I think there's something there's something interesting going on here, right, with with black metal, which is that it tends to, and we'll leave aside the kind of Death Heaven wing of black metal, the kind of like really drifting towards the mainstream elements of black metal that can, aren't necessarily clearly black metal anymore. There's something about black metal as a genre that always seems to involve some kind of meditation on, and I don't know quite how to categorize this stuff. So nature, as you pointed out there, but frequently kind of nationalist themes. Yeah, I mean, basically, that's those are the two options that come to mind. I don't know what, like, or, or Satanism. So some some kind of like religious, or I mean, that's the really obvious, like, early one for 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 the most part, right? The early early impetus of black metal, including Varg's, like, was so Varg is a racist, but he's also like vehemently anti-Christian. For him, the two things are associated. But that, I mean, that requires some quite extraordinary cognitive moves in this part. Generally, those two things, like racism and hating Christianity, like they don't have an automatic association, although they are often <laughs> in extreme metal do, do tend to go. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on here. I mean, one is, there's two things here. I mean, the thing that really fascinates me, but I have absolutely no idea about is the connection between the two. There's there's the, what's happening at an ideological level with black metal and what's happening at a musical level. We could talk about all kinds of musical genres and perhaps we will in this respect. It seems to me though, there must be some kind of connection between the music and the ideology. It doesn't seem terribly obvious. I mean, people try and draw this connection, but I find it very implausible. I mean, musically, there's clearly two kind of like really basic, two different directions in black metal. There's what I think is probably the, the core of what people mean by black metal, which is that very fast drum beat. Tremolo picking. So trem- tremolo picking guitar, like so super, super fast guitar and, and, and with sc- scream vocals over the top, right? And then you've got what Burza mostly is, what Varvikan stuff mostly is, which is ambient electronica. Yeah. Which is like ba- clearly not the same genre of music, like at yep. a musical level, but coexisting on the same albums. And, you know, like... Yep. Fenris of Dark Throne talks about this, but people often forget that there were clear connections between early black metal, and by that I mean early second wave black metal, and electronic music like techno. Because both are rhythmic, fast, repetitive. Varg was well known for like going to electronic shows and electronic clubs in the early 90s and just hanging out like a... I mean, I'm sure he was an absolute weirdo. And hanging out at the back and just... Fenris himself is what was like heavily into like the Detroit electronic scene, specifically the techno scene. And... The, the point of affinity there, obviously, is not ideological, although you know, there might be certain certain affinities, but the main one is the aspect of repetition and rhythm, the patterns that emerge out of repetition. Basically, that what they're talking about here is capabilities of trance, of what trance can can do in music. And yeah. that that's important. And that, that makes the connection between, for example, the dark ambient and then the very, very fast element of it. It's, it's about patterns and shapes that emerge out of the music. And really what that means is, and you hear this, across all kinds of black metal artists is it's about the atmosphere, which of course is a kind of means, could mean anything and nothing, but that's what they're going for. Yeah, I mean, I feel that trance is the key word here. And I think, because getting back to the ideology of black metal, like to me, it seems like it's pretty unified. Like you can, there's, there's a kind of basic idea of a rejection of, I think you could say modernity and also Christianity, I can't, I mean, I know there are Christian black metal bands, but like they're few and far between. They're like it's, it seems contrived. It's not worth mentioning. Yeah. Actually, I have to say, because they are worth mentioning, like Obsequiae, my absolute favourite band, who are potentially categorisable as black metal. Look, I'm not sure what their relationship to Christianity is, and that'd be an interesting question. Nonetheless, they're, they're channeling the basic, because if, if they're channeling anything, it's medieval, medieval mysticism or something like that. Because there's a rejection of modernity and it seems to be specifically focused on on the kind of spiritual modernity represented by Christianity and an attempt to go back to something earlier. From that point, the, the, really, you can go Satanist, you can go nationalist, you can go pagan. Because I think that's the point, it's paganism that's the point of commonality that these super left-wing right-on US black metal bands have in common with, because that's... That's not that far from Satanism. Once you kind of go, oh, it's like eco-paganism and we want to like think about the forest, that's actually pretty similar to 
ultimately what Varg's doing because he's thinking about the pagan Nordic religion. So Varg's positive agenda at times was like openly Nazi, but then that is what the Nazi, I mean, here, here you know, Antifa and Germany are right insofar as a, re- a really important reference point, particularly for the extreme, you know, esoteric SS Nazis, which is what Varg was into, is Nordic paganism and, and all that stuff. And you see this all over the place. So you see, you know, you see, um, you know, Mexican black metal bands who do songs about Aztecs and human sacrifice. And you see, you know, this extraordinary, what they call English heritage black metal in, in the UK, which is not overtly racist, but like still kind of nationalistic and for some reason, like exclusively focused on the 500 year period of British history that was Anglo-Saxon um, before the Norman conquest, but after the Romans left. What a lot of these bands, regardless of political ideology, have in common is, and this comes back to what, you know, Obsequia and the bands you were talking about, is using music as a medium through which to somehow, in some way, access or confront the past or for the past to somehow emerge in the present. As a, as a, and that comes back to like kind of the ritualistic element of black metal. So, and that's the trance element. I think where they differ though, so I think, I think almost all black metal bands are going to agree on that that there is some kind of connection to the past in the present. But where they where they obviously differ is when their politics come in. So in the case of someone like Varg, he's clearly doing it in the name of, it's a rejection of modernity, but it's also a rejection of multiculturalism, of kind of all this kind of stuff. And in the case of someone like people like Wolves in the Throne Room, it's actually a hearkening back to kind of pagan, communal living, pre-capitalist, this kinds of stuff. So it's really what the the political project differs in regards to what they want to do with this interaction with the past. I don't know if you think that's fair. No, it's, it's fair, but I mean, they, they, they are still quite close together in really, I mean, so, so Varg himself is quite explicit now. I mean, Varg now is, you know, more of a, I don't know what, like, I don't want to say YouTuber, but he's been banned from YouTube, but he's like a right, right-wing internet guy much more than he is a musician, although he still dabbles in music, but I suspect that's money because it's his only source of income. But uh, Vaughan's absolutely explicit that his position, although like it's kind of Nazi-inflected and clear, uh, as overtly racist as you can possibly be, to absolutely crazy hyperbolic degrees, he's absolutely clear that he considers himself to be closer to kind of like hippie ecotypes on the far left than he is to, he said like, I'm no affinity for the organized far right because he's completely, so, I mean, he's, he's basically a kind of eco-anarchist. He wants civilization to be completely destroyed. I mean, there's a certain honesty to Varg there and in terms that I think he's actually connecting to sort of a more genuine conservatism there than a lot of what modern conservatism claims to do. Yeah, well, it's more than a conservatism. I think when you, so I think conservative doesn't cover it when what you're talking about in his, I mean, like he wants to, Varg wants to go back to the Bronze Age. I mean, he wants to undo, not, he wants to undo 3,000 years of civilization. Now, that is not conservatism. No, that's true. Conservatism means, you know, there's aspects of the present. So, and and I think that goes along with the paganism. You basically, so black metal, whatever it is, cannot be conservative. It's extreme and it's radical. And I mean, like punk or you know, a number of other kind of extreme musical genres, you get people on the far right in these genres, but you've basically got to go either far right or far left if you're going to go political at all, because the extreme genres lend themselves to extreme and radical positions, which if you're into a kind of music, which is totally antithetical to what most people are into, and most people consider it like, you know, not even music and all this stuff, then, but I'm not sure that's, maybe that's too easy a way of putting it, because I... I mean, going back to this trance point, like the, the thing that occurs to me, if we're going to try and bridge the music and the ideology, there's a kind of idea, which I think actually is ridiculous, but I think quite widespread in black metal, that somehow black metal, which is an extremely new form of music, gives you meditatively a route to make this impossible leap back into the minds of people 3,000 years ago which to me sounds like the most unlikely thesis you can have, but I genuinely think that's what the practitioners kind of think. No, it's absolutely right because, I mean, this is despite everything, and this must be like the, the mystic strain of my, of my thinking. I buy into that, even though, I'm, of course, I have the same scepticisms you do, but I fully buy into that when I'm listening to black metal and I like to think it works. Yeah. But I'm a, I'm a, I'm a proper fanboy. Yeah, no, because I don't, I mean, actually, because cards on the table, like you, you're, a, you're a black metal guy. Like yeah. amongst other things, and I am not. And that's right. You know, like Obsequia are like an absolute exception to me because they're doing music which 
is about the Middle Ages and genuinely uses musical elements taken straight from medieval musical compositions. So, like, I don't feel there's anything, anything kind of false about that. But the idea that, um, yeah, the claims that are made by almost any other black metal band, including, I mean, including, you know, including the English ones that I quite like, but, like, oh, come on, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so we've read one paragraph, and yeah. that, that, is, that is what that's we've... That's the whole show. I think that's... No, let's, let's move on. Yeah. And now we've got, and there's the fact of how metal came to be. The founding fathers of metal in the late 60s and early 70s were still playing music derived from the blues. Even Black Sabbath began as a blues rock band and their drummer, Bill Ward, filled their records with jazz-inspired flourishes. Yeah, which is like, so that's, I mean, obviously that's, that's like the most obvious statement, but it's like a kind of gotcha for like, hey, racist metalheads, do you know that like your music is like inspired by black music? This is such a strange take. I mean, everyone knows that heavy metal is just rock, which is just the blues. I'll read the next paragraph. All right. While researching a book about vintage metal, sociologist Keith Kahn Harris and I discussed how the codification of metal a decade or so after Black Sabbath's first record was in part a process of removing the blues and thus the black musical origins of the genre from its sound, literal black erasure. That's not a malign thing. As he pointed out, punk did much the same thing in its evolution out of the R&B-based pub rock, but it happened. What the fuck is he talking about? I missed this first time through. So he has written a book with a sociologist about the origins of metal. Not about the origins, about vintage metal. So this, this tells you something straight away. So yeah, he, what's, what's vintage metal? Well, it's, you know, Guns N' Roses and Black Sabbath. <laughs> Khan Harris looks like he's, he's actually a metalhead. Like you go to his, if you click through that hyperlink there. Yeah. It, it, just to go back to that paragraph, it seems weird to say, to label a, pro, a natural process that would happen in any musical genre where a subgenre develops and takes on its own sound as, what did he call it? The removing of the blues. That just seems, I mean, is he implying that it was, it was done consciously? Yeah, look, I, the, the thing that strikes me about this, this paragraph that is so insidious is it's like, oh yeah, like metal's bad because it appropriated black music. But wait a minute, punk, which is not bad, did it? So therefore, metal's also not bad because it did the same thing punk did, and punk is canonically good. That that seems to be the structure of that paragraph to me. The argument, it's not a malign thing, because punk did it, and punks punks are cool because they're middle class. Oh my god! That's I mean, that's so, not my line. That's Bruce Dickinson's that's line. That's so Bruce true. Di- Bruce Dickinson's line is that punk was a a trick played on the working class by the middle class art fraternity, basically. Yeah. And they worked out a way of just making a whole bunch of money out of oh. middle class fools. And also explicitly, so like the kind of McLaren, like you know, Sex Pistols thing, like oh, absolutely yeah. explicit. That's what they were doing. I mean, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I mean, if. It, uh, on that level of generality, punk, despite its claims, has always been a middle-class genre of music and okay. heavy metal has, for the most part, been a working-class one. Now, that's, there's obviously exceptions to that, but in terms of their origins, I don't think that you, that, can be, that can be disputed. I feel like the thing, like in, in England at least, the, the big thing actually wasn't so much class as rural versus urban because mm. although... So, I mean, Maiden obviously famously are from East London and Black Sabbath are from Birmingham. But the place where in the 80s, like Iron Maiden was the like, most popular band in rural England, but in the cities was considered completely cringe. And in the cities, everyone was, you know, into punk or whatever. In the early 80s. Mm, that's an interesting point. I've never thought of that along those lines. I don't know how clear that is. I mean, that's, that, that's all based on this, this bizarre anecdote. I once read in an interview with the English comedian, if you can call him that, Harry Enfield, who described how he had to move to like rural England from like London as a teenager and was like, punk's happening, I want to riot. And everyone there would just listen to Iron Maiden and had. <laughs> okay, so, so it has been heartening to see so much of the metal world react to the Black Lives Matter protests, not with a shrug, but with a recognition that sometimes the right thing to do is to speak. Kudos to Black Sabbath for printing, printing T-shirts, altering the logo from their Master of Reality album to read Black Lives Matter. Respect to Serge Tankian of System of a Down. That's bad. For taking a very clear stand. Coordinate online and block every street everywhere 
and force the regime to resign. The time has, has come. Your time has come. At real Donald Trump. Credit to all the metal bands coming together on Bandcamp to raise money for Black Lives Matter with a benefit compilation. So Serge Tankian is like horrifyingly the most like current person who's been referenced. Yet. This is unbelievable. So System of Down were like, you know, who were a bit banned for like five minutes at circa 2000. Did they do Chop Suey? They did do. They did do. But I fucking hate that song. That is not a good one. I'll, I'll admit, you know, I, I listened oh. to that album, the Toxicity, that put they put up around two thousand and two thousand one maybe, and I because I I just had, I happened to get get the MP three rip off my brother, and I listened to it <laughs> a bunch when I was when I was binge playing Civilization three when it came out at the end of two thousand. Tale as old as time, but basically System of a Down's whole thing, which is indicative, like it's shown in their fucking name. The whole ethos of System of a Down is like taking a Dumb political stance, which has no meaningful content. It's kind of aesthetic, an aesthetic of, of taking a political stance. So their whole thing is like they're kind of like a political band, but they don't actually understand politics at all. And this, they're, they're, and they tie their name, very name, System of a Down, is like something that sounds like it's like a political criticism, but is absolutely meaningless. Not, not in the sense, but not, not even not in the sense like you know you're you're going to say oh you know what is a complicated relationship with race that's meaningless. Well, okay, you know, at some critical level you can make a point of that. This is not it's literally meaningless. Like it doesn't it doesn't mean anything at all. It's they're one they're one tier above Lincoln Park. And I know you don't want to hear any bad words about Lincoln Park, <laughs> but, but like you know who who are who are one one stage above a boy band. Like you know it's it's. It's totally fucking confected. And, and that is, in fact, shown, like, uh, you know, Serge, obviously, I, I don't know much about him personally, and I know he's been active in many, many worthy causes, but his, his tweet is just absolute fucking nonsense. Like, as well, coordinate online and block every street everywhere. Okay. So it's clearly absurd, absurdly hyperbolic. But then he's forced the regime to resign. This, the, so he, he, thinks, he thinks, what, Donald Trump is going is gonna, to... He's going to say... I don't even know... He's going to see all the system of a down fans on the street and he's going to send in his resignation letter. I don't even understand. What does that mean? So he's like, let Mike Pence take over? Or like, he thinks the entire of the executive of the US government will resign en masse and say, hey, Hillary won. Like, is that how? I think the answer to that is, I actually think he does think that. Yeah, I think he, I think he actually might believe that. I mean, it's, it's so fucking addictive because this guy is writing this. He's like, respect to Serge. He says, respect to Serge Tankian. So you get respect if you make a tweet which is supportive of Black Lives Matter, even if it's totally nonsensical. Whereas if he'd said something that was like mildly critical or in engaged with it, he would have had received no respect because he'd failed to signal his like total obeisance to this. All I can think about is when LEG misspells respect. Respect put. Yeah. <laughs> R-E-S-T-E-C-P. No, but I, I think that's right. It, it's, no, it's, like it's, a, it's on the same level. No, like Han here is no. Absolutely, that is absolutely what I was thinking. It is like he's a respect to Serge Tankian of the <laughs> down for taking a clear step. Like this is one hundred percent what he's fucking doing. And like, who the fuck says respect to? That's not a contemporary phrase. Like the guy's been in mothballs for ten years, and somebody's <laughs> him down. You just know he was listening to Chop Suey while this, while writing this writing this article. I'm gonna. Continue. Astonished appreciation as well to Axel Rose. He's astonished. He's astonished because Axel Rose is, an, is, a, is a dickhead, apparently. Whose lyrics for one in a million are nakedly racist and offensive. I don't know this song. For both the fact that Guns N' Roses giving support to BLM on Instagram and for Rose's unequivocal taking of sides against Donald Trump. Let's, and here's a quote. Lamestream media... <laughs> Isn't doing everything within their power to foment hatred and anarchy. That's you. She tweeted at Donald Trump. As long as we get what you're doing, I mean, you, you're spelled you are uh, doing, that or fake news, un, a truly bad. It's interesting because his band has the word un in it, but he also clearly believes that it is a word and use it. Repulsive excuse for a person. Axel Rose writes in like text speak from the early noughts. Like, it's what like, is happening? Is this the is this the only quote he could come up with? A person with a sick agenda. We can work past you work with whatever it takes to a better, stronger future. Double exclamation mark. 
that's, I mean, that's a giveaway, isn't it? He's used all these kind of like abbreviations, like uses the letter U instead of the word U, but puts two exclamation marks in the end. So he's like, reduce the number of characters in his tweet so it'll fit. But then like, just you also just t- chucks in totally unnecessary ones, like the apostrophe after mm. What is going on? I, I don't even know what he's saying. It's even more fucking stupid. The, the previous one, because like Surge gets respect for like supporting BLM. And, it, it is, is, and Rose, I'm very impressed with Rose, not just because he supported BLM, but he went one step further. The, the person who no one's willing to call out, Donald Trump. Like the guy. He really went out on a limb. <laughs> the guy who has people in his own fucking party are embarrassed to support it. Like it's the most inoffensive and anodyne thing you could possibly do to criticize. Like, Talk about how Donald Trump is fake news. It makes me want to vote for Donald Trump. Is Axel Rose a boomer? Because I think he... <laughs> is, is he old enough? I feel like this is... This is yeah, what he would be, I reckon. Just. He'd be a late boomer, yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm going to read... Shall I read the please, next paragraph? Please. While it would be nice to report these responses were universal, they're not. Even within the same band. John Dolmayan of System of a Down's drummer used Instagram to offer his support for Trump's claim... <laughs> to be the greatest friend to minorities America has ever had and has continued to continue on that track, suggesting Democrats are the true fascist, the true bigots hidden in plain sight from the same party who fought to maintain slavery, Jim Crow, <laughs> non-voting rights for women, and who were d- directly responsible for 70-plus million abortions, <laughs> a large majority of whom were black. You don't want free speech, you can't handle free speech because you are cowards and need to be herded along with the rest of the sheep. Sandra Araya, the wife of Slayer's Tom Araya, has been posting racist memes to Instagram. And while the views of one person in a marriage should not be ascribed to another, Slayer's own record on racial politics isn't watertight given the controversy surrounding Angel of Death, their song about Joseph Mengel. That is unbelievable. I've got to stop you. I mean, it's Josef Mengele. It's it's not Joseph Mengel. I mean, sure. I was just I was giving it the I was giving it the the, the Anglo pronunciation. Yeah, for our, for our listeners. For our listeners. <laughs> There's so much here. So the wife the wife of the Slayer's singer is racist. Ergo, I mean, I don't even. I I mean, I haven't looked, but like, I'm not sure I'm even going to believe that. Like, what a what's a racist meme? Like, I mean, they're. I don't doubt that such a thing exists, but I also don't doubt uh, Michael Hand's testimony that her memes are racist. Like, so Dolman's fucking... <laughs> so he's like an absolute, like, by the book. Like, this this line... Who's this guy? There's this ethnically Indian guy who does, like, who's done a series of documentaries on this. Dinesh D'Souza. Who did this series of documentaries about basically how the Democratic Party, you know... I mean... It's like the stupidest expose ever, and it's it's a it's a popular talking point on the on, on the absolute cringiest least right wing part of the Republican Party, which is uh, actually did you know the Democrats are the party of slavery, which is like entirely true, but is the genetic fallacy like is like yes this political party that is now like anti racist if you trace the the same institution back it used to be racist, and there's but there's this 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 guy whose name I've forgotten. Like the series of documentaries, we basically tried to claim that the Democratic Party, at some very deep level, has remained exactly the same party, and is just pretending to be anti-racist or something like that. But anyway, this is just—it's completely cringe, dumb, you know, center-right GOP partisan take. But I mean, again, noticeable thing here, like, doesn't in any way question the Black Lives Matter narrative. I have no idea whether this is even contemporaneous with Black Lives Matter or like what the way Sacred here is saying. Axel Rose is not only pro BLM, but he's even anti-Donald Trump. But unfortunately, here's a guy who's pro-Donald Trump. So there's a guy in the metal scene who, gotcha, supports the US president and the ruling party in America. And so they're actually racists. Like, I don't know, it's possible this guy's like a virulent racist. I've like literally never thought about him before this, reading this paragraph. But not exactly great evidence. And yeah, the wife thing, as he points out, there's, that, it's so fucking dumb because it's like, oh yeah, there's like a racist who's married to Tom Mariah. Tom Mariah, incidentally, who is not white. Yeah, he's Chilean. Right. I mean, I guess depends what you, the standards of whiteness, but by, you know, American, because obviously a lot of Hispanic people are white or consider themselves white, but I tend to think in America, if you're, if you're Hispanic, you basically, 
uh, are considered to be. So anyway. But what's wild about this too, just as an aside, is that, I mean, it closely hasn't done much research because Tom Araya, that is to say, the husband of the supposedly racist wife, has explicitly endorsed Trump on Instagram and got in a lot of trouble because of it. And Kerry King, the guitarist for Slayer, endorsed Hillary Clinton. And and and, and also and also the fact that he used he used the angel of death example about uh, Mengele. There you go. When that was solved in the eighties, because it was a song about it was a song about the Holocaust and. They made pretty clear at the time that well, we haven't. It was a song about the Holocaust. We haven't gone out and said and explicitly criticised the Holocaust because surely that's obvious. Yeah, I mean, they said that in like eighty-seven. Yeah, I mean Slayer's aesthetics historically with this kind of mix of satanic imagery with like Nazi imagery. Yeah, which got them in a huge trouble in Germany because so the 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 S in Slayer looks like a Sig rune, like the SS symbol. Incredibly. Uh, you know, Slayer Slayer called their their fan their fan club the Slaytanic Wehrmacht, which is just the best name for a fan club. Unbelievable, but you know, so on the nose. The, the, the Slayer basically they never wrote a ton of songs about Nazi war criminals, but they just had like a fascination with this stuff, right? Yeah. Absolutely explicitly, that's what the songs were about. And the guitarist's father was he fought for the Americans and had all this Nazi memorabilia, and so yeah. he just grew up hearing about Nazis. But Kerry, I mean, Kerry King. Like, if you were going to do an expose on the racism, if you knew what you were fucking talking about, right, and you were talking about Slayer, who, like, vastly more than, I guess, any of the other bands mentioned so far in this conversation are actually, like, a significant force in the metal world still today, right? Uh, If you were talking about Slayer, you would point out... What I've had to point out to you in the past, James, which is, you know, Kerry King was virulently racist openly in in the 90s. Like he used to, he took to the stage at Donington circa like 96, wearing a t-shirt. It was around the time that the Malcolm X movie X, uh, directed by Spike Lee, came out. And he wore a t-shirt saying, you wear your X with the like stylized X from the Malcolm X movie. I'll wear mine with a Confederate flag under it. <laughs> and that was right at the peak of Pantera too, right? So like, we're... All the gotcha stories about Phil Anselmo being a racist are... Yeah, like he he got trashed in the show and and said white power, or he said you know, <laughs> I mean you know, Phil Anselmo is like a skinhead who left school at fourteen and grew up in like Louisiana. Like yeah, sure he's a, he's a racist. Like of course, yeah, of course, yeah. But and Kerry King is like I I probably I mean apparently I, I haven't followed like his permutation into like a fucking girl boss Hillary fan. But like here you go, if you want to find examples of racism in the metal scene particularly in the 90s, they're all over the place. You have failed to do it. What you've yeah. done is the most like, ridiculous shit. Yeah, it's so weird. Next, we're, we're only three paragraphs from the end now. Fortunately, it's a short article. Next one. Are there metal bands speaking out against racism, risking alienating their fans? No, not really. Any artist has racist fans, sadly. It is true if you look on social media those posts will have some fans disagreeing with them angrily. It's true too that some people are just stupid whether or not they're racist. Like the fan who tweeted to Tom Morello that he was a fan of Rage Against the Machine until your political opinions come out. (laughs) Music is my sanctuary and the last thing I want to hear is political BS when I'm listening to music. As far as I'm concerned, you and Pink are completely done. (laughs) Keep running your mouth and ruining your fan base. That fan was roundly mocked by Morello and more or less anyone else who'd ever listened to Rage. doesn't say rage against the machine he says rage but i think he means rage against the machine in the context yeah well sure that this guy's an idiot like okay he's a moron yeah some people are just stupid fine yeah (laughs) but he's completely lost the thread of his point like what what is the point of this this article what is he saying it's so bad it's it's the it's it's the worst article like, it, it, it's unbelievable. Because it, the guy just doesn't know what he's talking about. So he's mentioned Tom Rowe here, Rage Against the Machine. One expects them to come up in an article about metal and race because of, you know, being the most vehemently anti, anti-racist man, band in history. Uh, Tom Rowe being black. Big problem, if the gunners aren't metal, Rage Against the Machine is not a metal band. No. I Never was. No. Like, at all. No. I don't think so. I mean, very broad church, maybe. But, like, rock rap, basically. You know, one of, one of my favourite bands in the 90s, for sure. I mean, they're sick. But I wasn't a metalhead when I liked Well, this is the I wasn't in a metal at all. It wasn't even a gateway band. Like, it had nothing to do with metal. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, Zach comes from hardcore, straight edge hardcore. So like yeah. the, 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 the genealogy is not metal at all. Punk's in there, but still not really because the, the vocal style, so basically it's clear it's rap is the vocal style in Rage yeah. Machine. Tom Rollo does not come from either metal or punk bang- background. And I mean, it seems like he lucked out on in Rage too because I mean, all of his other musical projects for the most part are terrible. Morella. Yeah. <laughs> but, was, but, but his, I mean, like, the only other thing I can think of is... <laughs> well, there's Audio Slate, which is the obvious yeah, one, which, which killed is... Chris Cornell. <laughs> okay, that's the spiciest take so far. <laughs> well, Tom you Rollo know, killed Chris Cornell when he was in Soundgarden. He was still alive. Then he was Audio Slate. Now he's dead. What do you want? Yeah, where's the lie? That's, that's, that's <laughs> empir- empirically undeniable. Correlation equals causation. Yep. I, I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's a bit unfair to Tom Rollo, and as much as like you know, who, who? I mean, how many musicians like? output stands up even though they stay in the same band oh that's true that's true Just, I'm, I'm i'm being unfair but they basically they had a good they had a good record like they put oh, out absolutely. a good record i mean the, i i could not i listened to that three thousand times uh in in six months and i could never listen to it again listen uh, to what uh Rage machine self-titled debut oh yeah fantastic album yeah i mean i'm sure it is i have not listened to that record in so long Anyway, but not a metal album. And that's the point. And it's also completely... Because what's he... like? Yeah, there's no point. What is, what is he saying? Some, some people... Well, he's proving the point. So he makes the point and then proves it. Some people are just stupid whether or not they're <laughs> racist, which is, I guess, and I know... I mean, it's not a controversial claim, but also not very relevant. But he admits that fans of all musical genres are racist. Yeah. It's like, so what's the point of the article? It's the worst garbage in the world. And it's, it's so, but it's like, it's, it's both sides in this issue, which is like metal and racism. So there's some people in metal who are racist and other people who are not racist, which is what it, what it says. So there's no actual analysis of why they're racist, who they are, how many of them are racist, how they cohere. There's like zero analysis at all. There's no analysis of metal according to subgenres. It's treated as a level, you know, as a, as a kind of homogenous thing that everything is the same. There's no distinction between what is and what is not metal. I mean, if old mate heard us now, he would take it to be evidence of what he said in the first line, which is to say that you know metal fans don't want to don't want to face up to it. But the reason is the actual reason is because what he's saying is bullshit, and this is and this is just is part of a long tradition of people talking nonsense about about metal. I mean, look, yeah, well, well, I mean, we said we said like it's unbelievably obvious to anyone who has any acquaintance with metal, or the metal scene, that there's racism in metal. Uh, it's also un, it's also incredibly obvious at this point that most of the scene is vehemently anti-racist. And that has been the case at least through the 90s. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, should we, should we do the final, you want to do the yeah, final let's, paragraphs? Let's, let's do it. Okay, so should I do the last two? Yeah, go on. It's possible assumptions get made about metal because in the West, its fan base is, and let's not deny it, overwhelmingly white and male. And history tells us no one looks out for the interests of white men quite as thoroughly as white men. But metal is behind only hip hop as a truly global music with no color bars in the rest of the world. I've been to Nepal <laughs> and to India to talk to metal. I've recorded in Denmark. To metal bands and fans talking about what the music means and to those people it means liberation and justice. Metal musicians in Nepal are currently raising money for those starving to death in the country because of COVID-19 has deprived them of their subsistence lot livelihoods sabbath axel rose and serge tankian are fulfilling the promise that those fans i met in asia (laughs) thought metal has made they are supporting liberation any fan who has a problem with that has misunderstood metal that is unbelievable what it's so trite and stupid what is he talking about what does that last paragraph mean (laughs) like when metallica went to fucking the soviet union in 1991 was was that was that about liberation and freedom? What's well, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure like everyone involved thought it was, but I wouldn't say so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's he talking about? <laughs> like, but, but what the, the cringiest thing here is, I mean, this this is so this is so cringe and so common. Like, you know, I have, of course, the utmost respect for, you know, people doing metal music in the third world and the rest of Fuck it. yeah, it's mad. But countries like Nepal and India, these, these are not, it's not a big metal scene. These, I mean, India is like just a huge country. You can find people. I mean, I don't know, you could go and talk to people in the Indian drum and bass scene or something. And it, all the people you'll talk to will be like, you know, relatively well-educated, like westernized kind of types who've like been exposed to the stuff and not ordinary people at all. And I'm sure they're all very lovely. This, this claim that he makes, which actually is the claim in the article that's like excerpted higher up as like the choice quote of the article, metal is behind only hip hop as, tr- as a truly global music with no color bars in the rest of the world, is just mind-bogglingly dumb. Yeah. 
Like, it's just false. Well, I don't know. I, mean, I don't even know. Is it true hip hop? Like, what, yeah. are, they, are those really the two global forms of music? What about like pop music? Yeah, I was thinking, what about pop like, music? Isn't that, that surely is, if you go and listen to like the radio in Thailand, like it sounds. They're not playing Sepultura. No, they're not. They're not playing. I don't think they are. I could be wrong, but they're not. I don't think they're playing Kanye West either. I think they. I mean, maybe they are, but like, if they are, it's because he's a, he's a crossover pop. There'll be egg on my space if I go to Thailand and they are playing Sepultura. <laughs> well, I don't. Maybe they are. Like, maybe they don't don't differentiate. Basically, I don't think it's the like the boy bands. You know, that's an influential musical subgenre. And like, yeah, pop pop music like that is. Frankly, I don't think it's a truly global music. I think the idea there's a truly global music is probably not true. Like at all, I don't think there's a single genre that's genuinely global. Classical music, that's pretty worldwide. It's not popular worldwide. There are some, there are some bands that could you could say are, are, are global. And I mean, they were not not meant in the same in the, the same way that he means global. I mean, someone like Iron Maiden, like they are a global <laughs> band, right? In the sense that what do you mean? In the sense that they play massive shows everywhere. Now, of course, that's it's misleading because they play like they play massive shows, but it's like a tiny percentage of the population who are mad fans. But that's true of Iron Maiden fans in Australia too, right? You know, they'll sell out Rob Laver Arena twice. But, but in a tiny country. In a tiny like, country. If you, if you go to China and you sing out, sell, if you've got a country of a billion people and you sell as sure. many tickets you do in a country of 20 million people, like... Uh, I just I don't know. Are they gonna? Are they selling out arenas in India? Are they selling out arenas? No, they are. In Nigeria. They, 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 I mean, I like, don't know. well, Sub-Saharan Africa is like I think the biggest exception to this, and I suspect hip hop, you know, has has its fans around Sub-Saharan Africa as you might expect. Metal, I, I suspect not so much. But I, I don't. But it's not this. It's, they're a global band because they have fans everywhere. I mean, all that means is you know we live in a globalized world. And it's, yeah, it's that's, no, that's really true. I'm, I'm making a different point, of course. But I think I think there are some. Uh, all I meant was to say is that I think certain bands, I think Iron Maiden is one of them, does seem to be able to make sort of connections across cultures in a way that some bands can't. I don't know, but maybe that's a trite point. I mean, you're, you're smirking at me. I, I think there's a certain element of truth to that, but why that's the case, I don't really know. I mean, I'm, look, I'm a fan of universalism, increasingly. <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy with the idea that universe, music in principle has a universal appeal. Yeah. And in a sense, any music. On the other hand, I think the, the idea of a kind of... I, I don't believe any form of music is truly global. And what by that, I mean, it would need to be like genuinely popular in every significant cultural zone of the world. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. I don't think that is the case. So like metal music clearly... I mean, firstly, metal's never been popular anywhere. That's right. I mean, well, possible exception of... South America, possible exception. Yeah. No, that's ridiculous. Finland, maybe. South America is like absolutely the opposite. What is this man trying to say? Can we paraphrase this? Because I'm actually genuinely struggling. He's trying to say, he's trying to say metal, metal is metal is problem. Metal needs to like self-create. Metal needs to look at itself because it's what. But he also says that people within metal are pushing for liberation. Yeah, yeah. But some, some metalheads, such as John Dolmayan, a drummer, like in, in a night. Nice, system a, of the so day. So that is it. <laughs> Tom Araya's wife. Tom Araya, when he wrote a song about, <laughs> about Nazis in the 80s. And let's not forget Varg Vikens. Like, and, and, and to be fair, Varg is pretty much a professional racist. But the problem with Varg is so, is so sui generis. Like, there's no general point. I, mean, I think this is what, what you were saying, I think, about Varg, which is like, Varg is Varg and has, is, is so off on a limb of his own. Like, I mean, in, in a discussion about black metal, like we had, you've got to mention Varg, but like, basically, is just his own own thing and Varg is off chops like he's an insane prepper now who just happens to have you know occasionally write black metal songs yeah no that, totally but he was always he was always insane and always and, yeah, and yeah, insanely right. racist like or racistly insane like he was yeah. that is that is who he was <laughs> presumably at a very young age i mean ever since his childhood in iraq uh you know it, bizarre backstory that he grew up like his dad was an oil engineer and he spent his like part, part of his childhood living in Iraq as the only white kid in the school in a like, Iraqi public school I mean by the time he was 19 he'd like murdered someone and spent like 20 years in prison because that's the maximum prison sentence you can get in Norway before getting let out stabbed the guy 48 times whatever it was and also burnt down like all the historical churches in Norway uh, according to the court though he denies I mean denies all of it of course I might be a racist, but I'm not a murderer or, or and I, I may I may be in favour of church burnings, but I didn't burn them down. I didn't burn them down. Oh, like you might not, I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't know. There's much of a takeaway here. Like, I mean, if I wouldn't have a takeaway, it would be like the Guardian is absolute shit. Like, it's yeah, that, this it's is, just like this. This is if you wiped your ass with this, it would your ass would be shittier. It, it, actually, I'm glad I didn't read it until we read it out loud because I'm, I, I'm, I was expecting it to be a bit cringy, but this is actually literally incoherent. Oh, it's just garbage. And this isn't just out of like me being defensive of metal because you know I don't care. Like this article has. No point. It has six hundred and sixty shares in the in the month. It's been up actually, and it's but it's also of a genre. You know, there is a long history of articles and thought pieces and all this kind of stuff like this, which is to say, metal is somehow unique in its racism or subservient nature. You know, it goes back goes back to the eighties and the seventies. Just looking at Michael Han's page now, we've got Michael Han is a freelance writer and former music editor of the Guardian. His most recent article is ACDC, their 40 greatest songs ranked. Fuck me. Girl School is an article on Girl School, an article on Neil Young. Like, I just think this is, this is the kind of guy, you know. He, so he, he's a Rolling Stone guy. It's a Rolling Stone take on metal. Yeah, and t- 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 I, I was going to say, you know, like The Wire or something. You know, like his Q, I was going to say. You know, like his, his knowledge of metal is basically because he knows about classic rock. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's why he's had to segue in this nonsensical fucking article. He's got no idea what he's talking about. But he's trying to talk about a political movement, which as a Guardian journalist, he's clearly very aware of. Then splice it into, and I'll be honest, I don't think I've got a fucking clue what's happening in the metal scene in 2020. Or even if that's a thing. I don't think it's a thing anymore. It's too diverse. No, it, and, and too online. There's no relation between a blind Guardian fan and a Burzum fan. Or if there is. I think Pete, there's people like both. I mean, mate. You know, people used to, used to like go to the local, like, rock pub and like watch the live bands and you'd see various kinds of like there was a there was a metal band, metal scene that was relatively cohesive and people like different things but they knew each other and so on right and i'm sure that kind of still exists but i just think now the extent to which like i've never i haven't been connected with that you know since my early 20s and yeah yeah i, I kind of doubt that exists now but i guess i don't know because i'm too fucking old but it's also but it's also just that really cringy guardian take too that you know and it comes back to what we were talking about in the earlier episodes that, that supporting a political movement is just reduced entirely to the symbolic. So, you know, I buy a shirt, a Black Sabbath shirt that says Black Lives Matter and somehow I've, I've helped the movement. And of course, you know, the money goes to it, but you know. But it's also the converse worry, right? That you might accidentally support the wrong political cause by listening to the music of a guy whose wife tweeted something you don't like. <sighs> Tom O'Reilly's wife is racist. Oh, shit. Like, I like, honestly don't care if Tom O'Reilly's wife is racist. No. I don't care at all. I'm not happy for her, but I that does not vex me or consider, I do not consider this to be a problem, possibly for Tom. <laughs> like, but see, I, I mean, let's. Does she know he's Chilean? I'm looking up Sandra Arias. Maybe she's deleted her Instagram after that brutal takedown in the Grawny ad. No, she's still got it up. She's got a private account. Her account is privated. So she's presumably privated it after that. And she, she has 33,000 followers. But why do we, ex- why do we expect. These people that, I mean, in this case, it's not, even, it's not even an artist. It's the wife of an artist. Why do we expect them to have the same views that we have, necessarily? I don't get it. I mean, we'll get philosophical now for a minute. We've got to, like, I do not believe that people have durable opinions. Oh, I agree. Like, I don't even, I don't even agree that your opinions are part of your personality. Like, it's, I mean, I haven't really encountered people like this for years, but I was like, on, you know, I'm the kind of anarchist activist left and you'd, you'd go to meetings and people. The way people would talk, you're like, this, this guy is, this guy literally never had a racist thought. Like, I'm like, you can't be policing racism to the level where anyone ever thinks something racist, you need to beat them up. Like, if you never, because everyone, like, surely our society is systematically racist. Surely, okay, maybe you think non white people can't be racist, but like, surely that means every white person at some point has had a racist thought. Surely. I mean, this goes back to, you know, what Brian was talking about. It's kind of left, leftist uh, Pelagianism, which is to say that they believe there's no original sin, but there's no, you, so, some people are totally without sin politically. Yeah. The way people act now, council culture, all the rest of it, seems to imply that it's normal to be totally pure, have never had a racist thought or inclination in your life, which is absurd, which is why these people always get found out because they use the N-word in a tweet they did in 2011. Yeah. Are they surprised? I don't think... It's not... They're not surprised. They're outraged. I mean, this is... Yeah. There's, there's this really paradoxical nature of outrage itself because outrage always confects to be surprised, yeah. but surprised at things that are commonplace. That's the very nature of outrage. It's like, I cannot believe that this is what 90% of people be- believe. <laughs> like, I cannot believe that people are out there 
outrage is precisely what happens when a normative conception of how things should be meets a world which doesn't live up to it at all. That's what outrage is. And that's what outrage culture is. And why it's so utterly unhinged. Because you, when you apply that to individuals and you say this individual needs to be punished because they as an individual are doing what absolutely everybody is doing, or like very large numbers of people are doing. Can we say this about this article? Yeah, in essence, because it makes these points like, oh, every, every you know, scene has some racists, which is absolutely true. Yeah. Right. So what's your fucking point? Your point is they're a racist. And what's the, exactly. So what's the fucking point? To be honest, I think there are points that could be made. Right. If you want to do a really serious deep dive into the history of metal analysis of its socioeconomic coordinates and how it's related to racism. No one is for a minute denying that ra- certain racist associations or so, you know, elements of, of racist history with metal, of course. It's, it comes back to the, what this article is about. It's actually just about purging via the symbolic. Yeah, it is. I've got to go. Goodbye. See you soon. Good chat. Yeah.